Alan Hatch was in the rescue squad. That's another one. Anyway, he and I'm, I don't remember who the other one was. They pop around the front of this thing, but at the same time, I'm there. Well, the officer sees Alan Hatch's big hair, red hair, hit of red hair, and turns around and looks, comes right at me and stomps me in the ground, tears up the ligaments in my shoulder. <laughs> I got this huge cut on top of my left eye, and uh, all I'm hearing are these ladies and kids on the train going, <laughs> ah, he's going to die. <laughs> <laughs> And I was just sitting there going, this is embarrassing. <laughs> and I said, if I can get up from this, I'm going to beat Alan's, you know what, <laughs> if I can swing at him. Welcome to the Firehouse Logbook Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Dawson. And uh, when I started working on this, I really didn't want it to be just about one fire department or one EMS agency. Uh, I particularly didn't want it to be about, <laughs> about Chesterfield or Lakeside, <laughs> where I came from. Uh, and I wanted to really talk about stories from other departments. And uh, today I'm lucky enough to hit uh, a significant number of all of those types of organizations <laughs> with one guest. And he's already laughing. He knows where I'm going. Because I mentioned him in episode four when I made some comment that he had worked for, uh, I think, every fire department in Central Virginia, and some of them twice. And uh, every one of them has been a, a positive experience, and the good news is, is he's, he was never fired from any of them. I think he's just got attention deficit disorder and gets bored easy and says, hey, what, look at that shiny fire truck over there, and let's go ride that one for a while. So, Nailed it. Uh, please welcome uh, Brett Williams. Brett, man, thanks for being here. Thank you. It's a privilege and an honor. Man, I, I, you know, I joke about it, but uh, we were talking before I hit record. It's, you, I mean, you had worked for a lot of different departments and agencies and, you know, all across Central Virginia. And, um, you know, your, your breadth and depth of what the organizations are like, the similarities and differences, that's kind of one of the things I want to talk about is mm-hmm. uh, how, they're same, how they're the same and how they're different. So, uh, uh, so let's start from the beginning. How, how did you get started in this business? When I was... 14, 15 years old, I was working on race cars, uh, working for a gentleman in Mechanicsville, and my goal in life was to become a race car driver. Yeah, NASCAR wasn't what is, didn't, hadn't reached its peak, but uh, that's, that's where I wanted to go with things. But uh, growing up as a kid, I had an uncle, Gene Eves, who used to be with the city of Richmond. He was a captain when he retired. Um, you know, he was the chief, the volunteer chief at the local fire department down the road here. And, um, you know, I'd go over to my cousin's house and hang out over there. And his volunteer gear was sitting down in the basement. And, you know, I'd look around, make sure nobody was looking, and I'd go try it on. <laughs> and, Any uh, pictures of that left around? I'm sure there may be some <laughs> somewhere. I looked a little out of shape in them, though, because, you know, they, those bunker pants swallow you up when you're six years old. Um and he had a plectron in his upstairs, and you know I'd listen to the calls. And I remember my cousin and I'd be playing, and I hear the beep go off, and I'd run down the hallway and stand there and listen to it. You know, look like the old pictures of back during World War II, and everybody sat around a radio watching, you know, listening to the radio. And uh, so something possessed—I don't even remember the exact event—but um, I said, "Well, I would like to try this fire department thing and see how it works out." So, uh, 15 years of age, I became a volunteer at 
east in Hanover, right up the street, and uh, put the stock car stuff on the back burner and never looked back. Um, so that's that's where it got it got its start. Was you know it was ingrained in me through the family. And as a 15 year old joining the East Hanover, what what could you do as a 15 year old? I mean, did they have did they have entry training? Was it a junior program? Uh, or? It really, it, it didn't exist. None of that really existed. Um, we could go on calls, uh, but you wouldn't see us up in a house that was lit off. Um, sometimes. <laughs> sometimes you go, you'd sneak in. Yeah, but uh, you know, we got to do a lot of the. You know, we, we'd go up there on the nights and they train, and we'd do the same thing everybody else was doing. Um, you know, out in this part of Hanover, you didn't have a lot of structural fires, so to say. You had a ton of brush fires and vehicle accidents, that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, that's where I cut my teeth was, you know, running through the woods with a what felt like 200-pound Indian tank on your back, you know, putting out hot spots, that kind of stuff. Um, but no, back at that point, the, you know, I think OSHA was, they were making their way towards, um, you know, regulating who could do what and that kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, we were exposed to a lot of things at a young age that nowadays you would never think about doing. What, what year was this? What, what year did you start? 82. 82? Yeah, 82. So we're you know 15 years old, still in high school. I'm sure we're getting into high school. Um, we, we and I, I know there's some some counties where you could carry your pager to school with you and uh, run calls out of the classroom. Were you, were you guys able to do that? Uh, the problem back then was there weren't weren't many. Um, you know, my first turnout gear was the old MSA helmet like Gage DeSoto had, and a canvas coat and a pair of three quarter boots. Um, I think we had three SCBAs between an engine and a tanker. Um, so our s resources were pretty limited back then. A lot of the stuff depended on, you know, what we made off of turkey shoots and Brunswick stews and uh, the annual fund drive, you know, you're going door to door. So not much county fund coming Not at that point, no. Uh, county, you know, helped some. I don't remember to what degree. Nothing like it is now. But back then, um, you know, you had maybe, I think we had maybe eight of those little pagers. Um, and, you know, the new guy's not going to get that. I had the Plectron box. Uh, it took me a while to get that. I remember I had a little radio shack. You used to have to go by the crystals for the, the frequencies scanner. and yeah. scanners. And that's how I would, um, you know, find out what was going on. Plus... The siren on top of the firehouse. I, you know, I was one of the closest ones to it, so I'd be outside working outside with Dad on a farm or something, and you know, I'd hear it go off, and he'd see me, you know, he'd see the back of me <laughs> taking off down the road. He goes, "That was that boy again." But um, yeah, back then, no, I didn't have that. You know, and back then it was um, depending on where you're going to school. If you had a cool principal, yeah, get out of here. You know, be careful. Um, and that didn't happen so much. I mean, especially where I was, because we weren't that busy of a house. You know, if we were running a, in a going with somebody else, we were always going to Mechanicsville. But most of the time, um, I didn't, 
you know, most of my calls I did after school, after work, weekends, that kind of stuff. But um, no, I didn't have one. I, you know, like I said, I had to buy my own stuff. I had to buy my, you know, that that black helmet, that MSA helmet that I had. You know, I was everybody else had the salad bowls, and I said, man, I got to do something because this thing is it's like a paper thin hat. <laughs> And so, you know, I saved up my money and bought my first Metro helmet. Um, and that's how it kind of was. I mean, it's the same way when, we, when you guys in the rescue squad, a lot of that stuff came out of your own pocket. Mm -hmm. Well, what, what about the people in the department at the time? Who were who were the kind of the leaders and the, the people that you look up to that might have put you on the right path for a <clears throat> career? Well, first and foremost, my dad. Um, he was never a firefighter. But he was involved with this fire department when it started. He, you know, he helped build the building. Um, he was involved with procuring some assets and um, getting it going along with my uncle, who was the, who was the fire chief, volunteer chief. Um, and my dad, you know, like anybody else's, you know, he spent time me growing up and gave me a work ethic. So that kind of carried over. And then my uncle, obviously, you know, I'd been around him my whole life. Um, you know, I remember going to see him in the city. He was at, uh, when he was at Two Truck, I would go by there a lot. Um, I'd go see him when he was at uh, Eight Truck at, with at Engine 22's quarters. So, you know, my dad and my uncle, I was, because I've been around him my whole life. Um, Rick Birch, um, you know, Rick got me a lot of opportunities, especially when I went to work for Hanover the first time. Um, <laughs> so it was yeah. in 82 when you came came on was he a deputy chief then was yeah it, he was already in Hanover he was okay. already in Hanover Mike Harmon was the chief um, I didn't see much of Mike Harmon back then because you know the East End folks stayed in the East End I'd see him at the fire show and maybe he'd show up at a monthly meeting or something like that but it was we saw a lot of Birch well, Rick Rick was kind of a Mechanicsville guy, wasn't he? Then yes. where he came up, he started in Mechanicsville number seven. And Mike Harmon was, I think he came out of Ashland. Ashland. Yep. Yeah. And so you know there was, you know, you got your East versus West. Yeah. And it, you know that was a good healthy competition back then. Um, you know, back in the day, I remember softball tournaments. It would usually end up being number three and number eight playing for the finals. East and, end and West end. Yep. And I'm gonna tell you, but it was like a bloodbath. Um, it was some of the most hard-fought games I've ever been a part of. Um, you come off the field and you got more strawberries on your arm than a field and Georgia's got. And, you know, you probably said something to somebody on the other team you probably shouldn't have said, vice versa. <laughs> it, you know, but the thing is, is how this, this job is. Um, you know, at the end of the game, we're sitting in the parking lot drinking beer, hugging each other and, you know, laughing it up. We're an hour before you were cussing each other on the field. Yeah, I mean, not five yeah. minutes later, I was telling Stephen Talley what I thought of him or, you know, Dick Willis. And, you know, those guys are, you know, I still see them to this day, and it's, you know, we don't mess a beat. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, you know, Rick had a lot to do with it. Dave Creasy did, and because of that is, the reason for that is, is that um, Dave was doing a lot of fire programs training, teaching. And uh, he taught my first truck school I was part of. Um, and, you know, he was a part of my career from the start until he passed away um, because our careers kind of paralleled each other in some ways with the prevention side of it. Um, so a lot 
I owe to him and uh, Eugene Gerald. Cricket. Yeah, Cricket has, you know, besides, besides the fact that he's one of the smartest people I've ever been around in my life that's got common sense to go along with it, um, he taught me, as much as he taught, about, taught me about the fire service, he taught me just as much more about life. And, um, you know, I have always held him in a very high regard. I have all the respect in the world for him, like so many other people do. I'm just one of many that Cricket's touched. Um, but those guys stand, I mean, so many people when I first started out, you know, it was Chris Hollins who was kind of like, he was the guy I followed at number three. I tried to stay in his back pocket and learn from him as much as I could. Um, Mark Rice, those guys. But in the early first, first part, those, those are the ones that stand out. So yeah, you started, came in as a volunteer at number three in Eastern Hanover. Uh, what was your first job with the fire service? It was with Hanover. At the time, I was working at zoolo in zoology at King's Dominion. And I did not know that. Yeah. No, yeah. You never heard <laughs> I never heard it. We we got a whole other podcast oh. coming up at that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a, I'm surprised you never heard the story about the ostrich. All right. All right. Go ahead. Tell me the ostrich story. So there was well, yeah, I won't well, I won't say the with the con because I worked at King's Dominion part time for a little while and we well, always had a thing, know, we always had a conversation about the zoology department. So. Well, they question your sanity <laughs> when you go over there anyway. <laughs> but anyway, I got introduced to that because I was work I was in the rescue squad in Ashland. I was engaged to a girl that was in the rescue squad, and Don Golf and I and her ran Sunday nights. So Don got me said, hey, you want to come do this, blah, blah, blah. And I said, you know, yeah, I might try that. It might be something I'd, I probably would enjoy. And so uh, back then, the monorail, the last part of the monorail before going back to the train station was to go by where the elephants were and where the ostriches are. Well, um, I was assigned to the elephant barn. That's who I took care of. I took care of the elephants and the giraffes and the rhinos every day. I used to walk the elephants out to the island and and some of the most intelligent animals I've ever been around. I, I miss, that was probably, that was super cool. I, I got a lot of uh, good memories of that. But anyway, one day the train had stopped and they're calling over the radio, hey, can somebody come to train track? The ostrich is right upside the track, he won't move. Well, he's on my side of the track. Well. You know, the cavalry's coming, but I'm the closest one there. And I'm thinking, okay, the cavalry, those guys are coming from the lion's section, which is clear on the other side of the preserve. And I'm walking down the side of it, and I'm waving to the people on the train. And, you know, they're all got their faces pressed against the glass. <laughs> Getting ready for the show. Yes. And I'm going, <laughs> you know, I'm just going to shoot this thing off. And, you know, an ostrich can mess you up <laughs> in a big way. Because during the wintertime, we would take these cats and put them in a uh, – cats <laughs> take birds. birds and we put them in sections of the preserve where you know they're basically huddled up to keep warm well when it was time to put them in preserve one guy put his hand and grabbed the left wing at the root and one grabbed the other and you just ran <laughs> I, and, and you ran from the barn from where we used to do all the medical stuff clear all the way up to where the monorail goes into the train it's a hall anyway you run up and you don't let them go till you get them in there Anyway, I walk up beside the train, and I'm getting ready to shoot him. Well, Alan Hatch, and Alan Hatch was in the rescue squad. That's another one. 
Anyway, he and I'm, I don't remember who the other one was, they pop around the front of this thing, but at the same time, I'm there. Well, the officer sees Alan Hatch's big hair, red hair, hit of red hair, and turns around and looks, comes right at me and stomps me in the ground, tears up the ligaments in my shoulder. <laughs> I got this huge cut on top of my left eye, and uh, all I'm hearing are these ladies and kids on the train going, ah, he's going to die. <laughs> And I was just sitting there going, this is embarrassing. <laughs> and I said, if I can get up from this, I'm going to beat Alan's, you know what, <laughs> if I can swing at him. Oh. But that dude, that bird messed me up in a big way. But that that was uh, that was the blunt of a lot of jokes in Hanover for a while. Oh, I'm sorry I didn't hear that here before. I might, yeah. I might have been able to lead off with that one. Yeah, that was... Um, <laughs> Oh, well. Oh, my God. But good times. But anyway, that, uh, you know, I, I'd been with King's Dominion and hung around with guys like Wheat, um, you know, that crowd and what have you. So um, Fred Crosby had left Chesterfield and come to Hanover. And he was working as a training guy half the time and inspector as the other. And I think they were seeing that's not cutting it. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't have somebody doing both disciplines. Um, especially in a county that's growing like that. So they decided to uh, create a full-time training position and a full-time FM's position. I put in for it, um, got the job. I, I really didn't think I had much of a chance because I had no background in inspections or, or anything at all. I mean, the only thing I knew about inspections and investigations was what Russ Chandler taught me at Jace Arden Reynolds. And Russ, at the time, he was probably a fire marshal then? No, Russ had left. Russ, Russ had, left. had gone to work for the, um, who of the private, uh, he'd gone in the private sector yeah. at that point. Um, I don't think, I think we had probably been there for a year or two at the time, but, um, you know, Russ had already gone, but, um, you know, I, I didn't, I, I was green as it could be. So, um, <clears throat> Went to work for Hanover. Um, Weed eventually left and went to work at Commonwealth Jet. I think that was a family operation going on. Mm -hmm. He went there to work. So I went back, and I was working for Fred for a while. And, um, you know, Fred taught me a lot. He, um, you know, he gave me some, some, some lessons in life that he had learned that passed on to me, you know, about bouncing a tennis ball in a fire station. <laughs> He's, he's on the list to get interviewed, yeah, so that's, that's going to be there. That'll be a good one. Um, you know, and I, I, like I said, I learned a lot out of Fred. had a lot of fun. Um, he and I were at the training center. They stuck both of us out there and our officers out there. So, you know, it was, you know, it, well, I'll leave it that. <laughs> Let's just say that was the best place for you. Exactly right. <laughs> um, but we had a lot of fun. Uh, we played hard and we learned a lot of things and we worked hard. Um, and then Judson... Uh, Flournoy came on in October of that year, and um, you know that was that was a change, um, and it was a good change. Judson was a law, you know, his prior experience was in law enforcement with Henrico PD and Hanover and what have you, um, but he came along and um, you know kind of had to tighten the reins up on the kid. <laughs> I think he saw that when he came in the door. He said, "I, I this one I got to I got to reel him in," but. Um, you know that 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 came about, and like I said, I stayed there for four or five years. Were you still volunteering at 
Eastman Hanover? No, no, I couldn't. I wouldn't. I couldn't this volunteer. Was, this was when the Fair Labor Standards Act kicked in. And well, yeah. Um, you know, at the time, I was 20 years old, and I still love riding fire trucks. And I remember going to Mike and Rick, begging, "Hey, can I just, you know, can I spend a night or a day with a crew, just riding?" And um, you know, I they, at first they weren't weren't, you know. I don't think they knew how, what to do with that request, you know, because I was a young one. You had guys like Bear; those guys had families and all. The, you know, when they went home, they didn't they didn't want to see a fire truck. Um, so I, you know, I would spend some time. I'd go to other firehouses and just hang out and ride with them. You know, that way I still kept my my, you know, the, the suppression skills up. But I couldn't be a volunteer anymore. That mm-hmm. that had to stop um, because of that. So. From uh, so from Hanover Fire Marshals, where'd you go? Um, I left there <coughs> and went to the Air National Guard. Um, Skip Springer was the fire chief at uh, in, at the unit in Sanson. It was an A7 unit at the time, and I had a lot of guys that were friends of mine that were um, AGR, Kevin McNamee, Bill Slack. Um, Ricky Earhart, Bobby Clark, those guys were in the guard. So in, in the reserves. So you went over as a firefighter, full time firefighter on the at the base? Correct. Yeah. What happened was uh the guard unit was transitioning to F sixteen aircraft and there was a requirement for twenty four hour fire protection if you had that aircraft because it had a uh it used hydrazine as an auxiliary emergency fuel and Hydrazine is ethyl methyl bad stuff. So, uh, a lot of units were doing things differently. That some of them would require you to be in the guard. Um, others, you know, they would do have a totally separate pool of guys that had nothing to do. Because when you deployed, your your concern was when your unit deployed, not all your aircraft went. So some of them were staying. Um, so you didn't want to deplete all your resources at the base and not be able to fly if all your guys are, you know, Norway, Iraq, Afghanistan, wherever they're at. So uh, I went to work there uh, for Skip. I was a shift chief for a while, uh, when I was there. Um, got exposed to a lot of cool things. You know, aircraft has always been something I've been uh, intrigued by. And, um, you know, I got to work in a military environment as a civilian. But, you know, we played the same games they played. And, um, like I said, got to see some really cool things, got to be part of a lot of other things that I would have never been able to do had I been somewhere else. And then from the guard to where? Chesterfield. Back to Chesterfield. Over to Chesterfield. Over to Chesterfield. That's the first trip. First trip to Chesterfield. Uh, President Clinton was the president at the time, and he had um, created this BRAC base uh, realignment committee and their sole purpose was to start downsizing and um, the unit in Sandston was one that was being rumored a lot well I just I had been married when this all started I I just gotten married and then um, my wife at the time and I had just had our little our first child uh, Kennedy and you know it's an uneasy feeling not knowing whether you're gonna have a job or not and so i started thinking you know what i probably need to 
see what else is out there because this is prop this may not may not last and i was trying to think where do i want to go where do i want to go well you know i grew up in a, in a fire department where we went to a lot of other fire you know we, when we went to training there were some folks from hanover but the majority of them were from chesterfield and i've always said this about the county and i know that if you ask somebody from Henrico, they would say about their place or the Richmond or whatever. The quality of folks that were instructors that came from Chesterfield was second to none. Just unbelievably uh, smart. Um, they could get a message across. And I said, you know, I want to be part of something like that. Tim McKay and I had this conversation about a month ago. And he said the same thing. He had gone to a class somewhere when he was in Farmville, I, I think is where it was. Mm -hmm. And um, he was so impressed by the folks from Chesterfield that were instructors. He said, that's where I want to be. And uh, so he and I have the same philosophy on that, that, you know, I want, if I'm going to be somewhere, I want to be with the best of people I can be. And I hadn't been right about a lot of things in life, but I was right about that. And so uh, I remember Tommy Tucker and I took the test together, and uh, that was a pretty quick hiring process there for that one. I think some money was set aside like pretty quickly. What, what year was that? 95, 95. And so uh, went there, went through recruit school, um, and to this day, hands down, best place I worked. Um, they expected a lot out of me, like they do everybody else that puts that uniform on. Um, they gave me what I needed to do to do the job well. They provided the training, the equipment. Um, I, I was I was fortunate enough to have worked there because, like I said, that I tell people all the time, Chesterfield, I won't say spoiled me, but everything else was based on that. You know, my expectations were based on my experience in Chesterfield. You know, we, you know, the philosophy is you do things and you do it the right way. And there was no, no wiggle room for that. You know, we do it one way, the right way. And, you know, when I would go other places or what have you, I, that's, you know, that's what I would gauge it upon. So. Then, uh, then where? How, so from 95 to when? Man, don't ask me the years. <laughs> but hey, but what you can it? make you can make it up as you go along. Nobody's going to fact check you. Well, well, uh, the the next step was Hanover was going to hire career firefighters, and you know that's where I grew up. Um, I said, you know, this might be a good opportunity to get in, and maybe I'll, you know, maybe I can get promoted up the line. I can take what I learned in the county Chesterfield use it in the right places there you know help bring an organization you know from the infant stages up so i tried that uh that didn't last very long um you know it was fun for the for the time i was there it was four of us that had gotten hired and they put two of us at uh number four's quarters in doswell and two of us at farrington so y'all were the first, the first, right, the first career ones. guys in the station. Right. Administration had been filling <clears> in, <throat> I think, at number four at the time. They were asking for help, and um, they got money.
approved from the board. And then once we came on board, I think within two or three weeks, they hired two more. I think Junie Smith and um, Lee Mooney, if I'm if that's right. I can't remember. I think it was two. No, Punky. Punky was one of them. And, um, you know, it was fun there. Um, you know, I, just there was – there were a clash in philosophies, I guess, is the, be is the best word to put. Um, you know, that no one's right or wrong. It's just that, um, you know, I came from this background with this set of values, and, you know, I was battling against others that didn't see it the same way, and I, I get it. I totally understand that, but, you know... Um, it wasn't the right place for Brett. Just wasn't a good fit. It, it wasn't. Um, you know, I I thought it would be because that was that was home. But um, again, you know, Chesterfield had changed me for the better, and um, you know, I had a different set of expectations on on things and my value system. I'm not saying Hannah was was wrong at all. I hope it's never taken that way but um like you said it wasn't a good fit just, it just yeah didn't match you know, didn't match you can be around family but you don't have to like them you don't have to always <laughs> get along um you know i love those guys i mean it, i bled with a lot of them um you know the fun thing about that i tell a lot of people is when i was there jethro pollen was a uh he was on the ambulance with um oh gosh Who's the other guy that was from Chesterfield? Mike Watkins. Mike Watkins. He and Mike won the ambulance together. So they started hanging out at the firehouse with us. So now they're, they were, at the time, firefighters or no, EMT? They were, they, they were working on This is when this there was the EMS separate. department was separate from fire department. So Jethro Pollan and Mike Watkins are riding on the ambulance as, as medics. Correct. For the EMS department. Right. right. I think there so were. There's, there's a setup to this. You know where yes. I'm going. <laughs> There's two. I think there were two ambulances. He and Mike were partners, and uh, I don't remember who the other two were. I never saw them. But um, Jethro came by, and you know, I don't even remember how old he was at this time. He's probably in his late twenties. Um, you know, he started asking questions. You know, what is this for? What is that for? What's this for? And I said, you know what? If you if you have so many questions, why don't you come go train with us? Well, the good thing about being at number 11 was we could ride up to the training center and do whatever we wanted. Um, right there. Yeah. So, um, you know, almost on a daily basis, you know, we'd meet Mike and Jethro up at training center and we'd do some pump training or search training or whatever, whatever it was. So, um, you know, I guess I got to take some responsibility for Jethro and his uh being bit by the firebug, so to say, um, you know, and I, I look at him today and I just, you know, I didn't, I didn't create that at all, what little I had to do with it, but um, it's cool when you see people that, you know, you kind of help along the way be successful and come out like they have, because that guy has, it's incredible how he has um, handled so much adversity and stuff over the last 10 years. And uh, for the casual listener who doesn't know Hanover County, that would be Fire Chief Jethro Pollard, Correct. who is now the Fire Chief of the department. So in, uh, I think a few, years, a few years later, they combined EMS and fire together, and 
both both Jethro and Mike did pretty well. I think Mike is in Goochland now, right? Did he? That's good. I thought he came back to Hanover, but I think you he's you might be right. Yeah, he the both both of them are you know Jethro obviously got promoted to fire chief, right. and I believe at some point Mike has been the deputy chief. For, I think you're right, uh, working for uh, Dugan. Yep. He's, so he's Dugan, in Goochland. So. But yeah. So yeah, they, I think they do okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, did out, they did outstanding. Um, you know, I was blessed to be a small part of it. Um, you know, you move around as much as I did, you're going to be in contact with a lot of people. So where else did you go? I mean, you, you said it wasn't a good fit as a firefighter in Hanover. You left there and went? I went back to the uh, – how was it put to me when I, when I came back? <laughs> The, uh, I was sent to fire station number nine off of Buford Road in Chesterfield. I went back to Chesterfield, and I was sent to fire station nine, which had become known as the Home for Wayward Firefighters. And the re the before re or after I was there? You, let me finish. <laughs> that got its name because a Robbie Dawson had done a mini version of me, went to Hanover, then came back. Um, and I do have something on you there. You know, I came back. I didn't have to go back to recruit school. I didn't either. I had to take the test. I did have to go through the test. I thought you were mm -mm. marching at the training center one day with the recruits. Mm -mm. I had to go. I had. I got hired and I came back on a quote temporary basis in yeah, September. Yeah, I remember that because I was been, at one engine then. I'd been gone so long they had to send me back through the testing process. Oh, so you want to talk about a little pressure? I think the test was not until like February or March the next year. Oh yeah. So I had to take the written. Had to take the physical. Gotcha. And. The interview, and I got a story about the interview with uh, Rick Butcher. Now, I don't know if we'll tell it here, but uh, I'll tell you that one later. <laughs> well, all these years, I've been telling everybody, I said, I got one up on Robbie Dawson. They made his dumb ass go back through the cruise. <laughs> See, I told you. Jeez. Hey, you learn something new on every one of these spots. Sorry, buddy. Should have never brought that one up. That was a good story. Sorry, for brother. Well, you can keep using it if you like. <laughs> but um, I came back to, to, you know, I had talked to Chief Ellswick. You know, I had an exit interview with him when I left. And then, uh, you know, I went and talked to him and said, look, made a boo-boo. Um, learned some lessons, and I would love to come back if you'll have me. And he didn't bat an eye. He didn't check up or nothing. He said, I want you back. I'm going to put you back on B-shift. I'm going to give you your seniority back. And he said, you know, I'll try and get you back in the Southern Battalion because that was home for me. Mm. And... Uh, he said, well, we got a few things we got to do before then. You know, I need you to go here and go here because we're trying to precept some medics and, you know, you can help, with, you know, with us trying to finish that up. And I did. And, uh, you know, I made my way back towards the Southern Battalion and, um, you know, spent some time there. And at this point, my family is growing exponentially. Um, we've got two at the time, and, you know, we're talking about more. And one of the things that always comes up in this conversation with, um, with a couple when they have children is, you know, what do we do about daycare? It's, it's the struggle everybody contends with. Do you pay for, for, for daycare? Uh, or do you drop one and stay home and while the other one works? So, you know, we decided, you know, the best option for us was 
those kids to stay home with their mother and you know the other one work and the air guard uh had a position had a had um had some folks who were who were leaving and there was some really good potential to get promoted and work their way back up and plus the money was i hate to say this but it was it was a driving force at that time because you know I mean, that's, a, that's, that's what, that's what puts nature of the beast. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's just how it is. And so uh, I went back to the Air Guard and worked there. Um, went back and I got promoted uh, to captain. And then eventually I was promoted to the assistant chief's job there. Um, you know, it was always something messing in my career. You know, I just... I, I made those decisions out of necessity for my family. Um, you know, I think you and everybody else that knows me knows that I that my heart has always been in Chesterfield, just because of the the relationships that were that were built there and the the impact that I was able to have on other people and the organization as a whole. I, you can't help but be proud that you are a member of that fire department. Um, if you've been there. And I, like I said, I know guys who work in the city that feel the same way about theirs as Henrico and Hanover, and I understand that. Um, but I went to the guard, and uh, that Brack thing <laughs> that I was telling you about yeah. with Bill Clinton, you know, it eventually caught up with us. Comes back again. Yeah. Um, this time it's, it's about, okay, we're going to transition to F-22s. Um, that was the big, you know, that was the latest and greatest. Langley was getting the F-22 aircraft, and uh, some pilots wanted to get a part of that. Um, I know there were some other ideas kicked around of us becoming a C-5 base or C-130 base, um, but none of that panned out, and the only way they were going to fly F-22s was move the unit down to Langley. Go to Langley. Well, Langley has already got full-time federal uh, firefighters down there. The only people that are going from there are the guard is the guard component. The civilian firefighters, you guys are SOL. And at that point, um, you know, I, I was at a crossroads. What do I do? You know, I the first thing I wanted to do was to go back to Chesterfield. Margaret was the fire chief, and I said, I, you know, I really want to go back there. But, you know, I've been away from there for a while. I don't think it's going to be, I think I'm better off just, you know, chalking it up as, you know, we got to find something else to do. So at that point, the state fire marshal's office has got an opening in the Richmond office. And um, I went through the process for that and went to work for Chief Altizer and stayed there until I retired in 2000 and 17 kind of finished it up in the prevention side of the shop just like you kind of started yeah, it all yeah it was it was that was a fun you know it, it was different way different than the others because you know the you didn't have the uh the paramilitary um organization set up like you did in those other places um you know they did things differently in the state fire marshal's office versus you know other places you go um but you know i got to, again i got to work with some really cool people um i got promoted and transferred to hampton roads 
And at first I said, man, this, I don't want to do this. Uh, I got to move. And um, there's some other things that were going on and what have you. So it actually turned out to be a blessing in disguise. Um, you know, I got to meet a whole different realm of folks down there in Tidewater that I made really good friends with in Norfolk and Hampton, Virginia Beach, Chesapeake, Portsmouth, Williamsburg, James City, all those places, and East, even the Eastern Shore. Um, but I got to do a lot of things, see a lot of a, a lot of things, and again, work with some really awesome people. Um, but you know, 2017 rolled around. Um, this guy named Frank Dutton, if you're listening, <laughs> calls me <laughs> and says, uh, "Hey, Bubba, uh, got a job at the uh, Virginia Farm Bureau if you're interested." And so I. You know, I looked at it and I said, nah, I don't know. You know, I was doing security and safety work. Um, and the safety part really intrigued me because I was going to get an opportunity to go out here and work with farmers about farm machinery and hazardous materials, stuff like that. Um, so I went through the process for that. Um, and, you know, got in when they made me the offer, I, I just turned my notice in. And I said, it's time, it's time for me to go. Somebody's, God's putting all this together for a reason. He knows that. It's time. It's the right move. Yep. Well, cool. Well, I mean, so by now you've been to Hanover twice, Chesterfield twice, Air Guard twice, <laughs> and you, not that I'm rubbing that in at all. Sure you are. <laughs> That's okay. Deserve. <laughs> and not unexpected, I'm sure. No. So, you know, we we talked about characters in the fire service, and, um, you know, there's some certainly some characters. You mentioned a couple of those mentors that were kind of leaders and kind of helped shape you. What, what, tell me about some of the other characters that, are, that you ran across, uh, you know, with all those different organizations as a volunteer in Hanover, working in Hanover. You know. One name that comes to mind, and I'm going to ask you about him because I think he was involved at, um, at, up in Eastern Hanover, and you mentioned softball. And when I was working in Hanover, I went to a softball tournament, and Frank Eckert was the pitcher. You want to talk about characters? Yeah. Um a man of sound character, I will say that. And an unbelievable firefighter. Yes. Um, I, I remember going, I went to go see my uncle one time, and they had caught a fire over in the museum district, and I think Frank was riding on three truck. And so I get to the firehouse. They're not in quarters. I find out where they are. So the squirrel and me gets in the truck, and I go on up there, and I watch them. And I hear this voice inside coughing and hacking and cussing and saying every word known to man mama fish yeah mama fish and <laughs> out the door comes frank eckert and it's like man you know it's kind of like you hear the angel singing when he comes out <laughs> <laughs> and um yeah i i had known frank but his uh his kids was about you know his two daughters were the same age as me so um we kind of ran in the same circles and stuff, and you know, uh, I'd known Frank for a long time, and uh, you know, a good guy. I would follow him to hell and back, and uh, but yeah, if anybody, I mean, who doesn't know Frank in the Richmond area? Everybody ought to. You should. If you don't, you owe it to yourself to find out who he is and meet him. But um, yeah, he he was. He was working logistics, I think, yes. at the time when I came to Hanover. Yep. And the first fire exposure I had to him was I'm sitting in the office and they caught a fire somewhere over East End. And he went 
And all I could hear him saying on the radio was, I need a hose line right here. I'm fighting fire, and I need a hose line. And whoever the officer in charge was, well, if you're fighting fire and you need a hose line, what are you fighting it with? And all he could say was, I'm beating it with a stick. Get me a hose line. <laughs> and you could hear him just taking a bamboo stick and just wearing his brush yeah. fire out because it was heading for a farm. Yeah. One of oh. the hardest working men you'll ever meet. Oh, yeah. I'm sure he's – I think Frank's probably – well, he probably hadn't. But, uh, you know, as you get older, you don't have the – the drive or agility. I mean, Frank probably still does, but I'm, you know, he, the guy was a machine. Yep. He would just work his butt off and um, funny to be around, never dull moment. Um, you know, I have a picture of him and I and Birch and Craig Martin and Frank has this Coors Light cowboy hat on and I think he still wears this and that, that picture is probably eight years old and as much as he sweats, that thing, I don't know had fallen had hadn't fallen apart. All, all I remember him pitching softball was he had some kind of duck. Donald Duck had, hat on, yep. the god awfulest looking sweatpants, and it was his distraction technique to the batter, and he would pitch. And what a riot, man! The city of Richmond used to have a uh, the fire department used to have a Father's Day softball tournament over at Longdale, and I was able to get a, some folks from Hanover together, and they the city was nice enough to let us in there because I. I guess they figured they were going to beat up on us. <laughs> but Frank had begun wearing that hat then. And, you know, you'd go up to the plate, you know, ready to hit. And this guy is making all kinds of noise, looking at you and walking around. And you go, you know, he gets in your head. <laughs> what in the heck is he doing <laughs> and, over there? Yeah, I mean, he takes all your concentration away from you. And, you know, he's calling you every name in the book and in a friendly way. Um Talking trash, Talk, talking yep, sports talking trash. Talking that smack, and, um, but it was fun. It was, you know, I, again, the people, in the, you know, the city characters back in that day, you know, Dickie Maybe, um, Glidewell. I, I know some names, uh, Ledbetter, those guys, you know, it was fun to hang out with those guys and get to know them and stuff. But, um, you know, there's so many others. Um, you know, I was blessed that my first, the first company officer I worked for was Jerry Pruden. And, uh, you know, I'd heard his name in recruit school. You know, he's a good guy, this, 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 this. Um, and I went to work for Jerry for a while. Um, and I was, you know, I was on a shift with him and Ernie Smith and Shelly Porter. Well, Randy Lordy at first. And then Randy went out. Um, I think he was transferred at the time. I don't think he had gotten his cancer diagnosis at that point. But um, the majority of my time was spent with Shelly and Ernie and Jerry, number one. And um, there were two shifts that I was a part of in my career that I would never give. I would, with hands down, the best shifts I work on. I was at 1B and 12B. Um, and I worked for two of the finest officers in the world between Jerry and uh, Frank Marseille. But, um, you know, worked for Jerry for a while, learned a lot from him. Um, you know, he, he made sure that when I went and took my MPO test, I could have done it with my hand tied behind my back and blindfolded. Um, you know, when I went to 12, I uh, started working for Marseille, and I had heard the name Cornbread. <laughs> I'd heard it on the radio. <laughs> Didn't run much with 12, but... Um, I think Buchanan had Buchanan had retired. Buki. Mike Buchanan, yeah. And uh, so, you know, I had I'd known Gumby was already down there. He was in my recruit school. 
And um, so I get transferred to 12. I was fighting and screaming. I was begging Butcher, please don't make me go in that briar patch. <laughs> um, but it turned out it was probably one of the best things that ever happened to me. So um, you on the truck? You got to go to the truck at 12? I first went to the engine, then mm-hmm. the truck. Um, but, um, you know, Marseille had just been transferred from number nine, and he and Gumby and I, and I, want, I think Mike Martell was the fourth. I think Mike had come out of recruit school and gone to 12. And then you had uh, Vaughn, <laughs> Dennis Cron, Mark Lowe, and Mike Height. I forgot, yeah, Mike Height was on the truck. And, um, you know, I got an indoctrination into working in a firehouse with eight people and your ability to get along. And it was never a challenge, never. And we had people that would get transferred in and, you know, somehow or another they all just magically fit in. But, uh, yeah, uh, you know, I worked with Cornbread. I worked with Hogwood, Bowie. Bowie. Um, you working overtime day, Bowie? Um, another one that always stuck out in my mind, I, I laughed the minute I knew I was going to work with him was Jake Faison. It was just, <laughs> what kind of lie are you going to tell me today, Jake? Um, you know what's the story? What's the story going to be about? I mean, he wasn't a chronic liar or anything, but now he he would tell a state police pilot he yes. was a, he was a helicopter pilot in Vietnam more than a co- more than a couple of occasions, even though he never went to Vietnam nor was a helicopter pilot. But they tell me, I remember hearing that story. And I was just, you can't make this stuff up. That's right. You cannot make it up. Um, but uh, Hogwood, uh, Hoo Hoo. Oh, God, there's so many people. I mean, Chesterfield alone has got so many characters that have walked through those doors. Um, you know, that each one has got their own little story. Um, you know, I remember one time, right after the uh, Buckingham Station fire, the first one. The old Buckingham. The old Buckingham, yeah. yep. Um, FM's office was going around checking rated assemblies in the attics. So Chief Creasy calls and asks me, do I want to do it? part-time I said sure I'll do it um, he said all right we're gonna split you up in teams all the guys we're gonna hit all these apartment complexes and all you gotta do is get up in the attic check the make sure there are no penetrations in the assembly and putting this decal on it that basically said this has been inspected blah 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 <coughs> so Roland Stokes and I are assigned together and we're going around and we go in these apartments and I'm carrying a, a six-foot ladder and so Roland Opens the lattice and st- and I know what my my job at this point is I got to be the one to get up in the attic. Well, we started doing this in July, so <laughs> I started going up in these scuttle holes. And anybody that knows me knows that I sweat like a freight train. And uh, I go up and I come back down. My shirt is soaking wet. My hair's a mop. My pants are soaking wet. And Roland standing there sweating. And I said, "What are you?" Why are you sweating, dude? You're in temperature that's 70 degrees down here. He goes, because I know you're going to be sweating. I don't want you to be alone. <laughs> so Was rolling in the fire marshal's office? Yeah, he was, was, he was yeah. in FM's office. And um, But, you know, I, again, I made a lot of good friends there. I'm still great friends with them. Um, Joe Harvey was in my recruit school, and um, he and I remain great friends. Matt Coffin was a... Uh, volunteer at number one he just got in and 
I tell people all the time, I said, you know, when Matt came in, <clears throat> he kind of gravitated towards us on B-Shift. And, you know, he'd be sitting upstairs, and I'd go down to the engine bay to work on something. And I'd, I'd go down the steps, and I'd hear these feet going, come right behind me. And it was like having a dog on you all the time. <laughs> you know, every time you turn around, the dog's bumping into you and all. But, I'm, you know, Matt's a good kid. He's done well for himself. Um, but, you know, at, he, you know, he would follow you anywhere, and he was like a sponge. He would just listen to anything and everything. You know, and if I was doing something, hey, can I do that? Can I do that? And, you know, sure you can, sure you can. And, um, you know, I look at, look at it now, and I go, man, this, some of these guys that I wasn't so sure about or, you know, they were, you know, um, kind of wearing you out for a little while there because they weren't so eager to learn. And, uh, you know, I understand I was that way once, too. And, you know, again, Matt and I are great friends. We talk pretty regularly. Um, and an, another one that uh, you, know, you say did pretty well, talking about Jethro being an EMT paramedic on an ambulance and, you know, Matt being a volunteer at Company 1. Now he's an assistant chief. Right. He's a shift commander in the field in Chesterfield. So uh, he, he worked in the fire marshal's office when I was there. Man, just good guy. Yes. Just, you're right. And even then, he was a lieutenant, came in, and he was – that way, when he walked in the door, wanting to learn everything about that office, yep. and and it, you know, psh, man, I, I, same way, I man, just good people. It comes know. from good, you know. Yeah. A lot of that has to do with your upbringing. Yeah. I mean, I think it has everything to do with it. Um, you know, I know Jethro's dad. He used to be my doctor. I know what kind of person he is, and um, I know what kind of people Matt's mom and dad. You know, they they raised a good a good young man there, and um, you know. And the thing is, Matt's just a small reflection of the majority of the people who work in that fire department. Um, I was trying to think of the, who did I, who did I work with that I didn't get along with? And I can't think of anyone that I really didn't. Um, you know, there was one when you and I were together at nine that got a footprint in his back of his turnout gear, but... That was your boot, not mine. Yeah, it was not my boot. <laughs> <laughs> we, might, we might have to debate that one. <laughs> but, um, you know, number nine, I, I can – you and I used to go to – we were probably the first two in the bed at night. <clears throat> and your bunk was across from mine. We were up against the wall to far in a bunk room. And I usually fall right off sleep, and you'd be over reading your Bible or whatever you're reading. And I hear this hee-hee off in the distance, and I'm in a dead slumber. But I hear this laughing going on. I hear a bunch of other voices kind of, you know, you got that feeling of people <laughs> looking at you. Well, I open my eyes, and I open them up, and there's Gene Sprouse with a <laughs> pair of, <laughs> the trucks had just gotten those chaps, and that's all he had on were the chaps. And literally, that, that was all. That was all he had on. He's standing there with, <laughs> if you know him, you know, he's standing with his hands on his hips, I still need therapy for that. <laughs> I mean, he, did, he did that to Terry Newcomb one night, too, and woke him up and said, Terry, I don't think I'm wearing these things quite right. <laughs> and all you hear is Terry Newcomb go, <laughs> Newcomb's another one. Man, he was never a dull moment when he was around. But, you know, I talk about cornbread. You know, you know, I'm sure a lot of people who are in the department nowadays don't, you know, they don't know who he was or anything like that. But um, I remember the 
electric blanket trick being played on Vaughn Cornbread um, one night. And, you know, when I first went to 12, um, I was at, I was on the truck, and the engine catch, catches a run. Well, Vaughn would get up and go listen to the call. You know, the lights come on, and he resets it when he finds out the truck ain't going. The turn it off. Going, turn it off. Well, the bells go off, and I sit up out of my bed, and I turn, and all I see is Vaughn Culver's naked rear standing next to the thing like that, <laughs> and I go, man, what in the world did I do to deserve to come down here for this? But... Yeah, Vaughn didn't didn't sleep in anything. No, did not, <laughs> did not. But I mean, again, you know, those so many people formed had some input and formed me. You know, when I was and even till the day I retired, I had people that had impact on my career. Well, we could talk about those kind of characters yes, for the next could. couple of days. But yes, uh, what about big calls you were involved in? Any uh, any you know? Like, talking with um, somebody yesterday and see there's always calls that stick out in your mind that uh, made you laugh <laughs> one that made you proud to be there and the other some others that made you cry so uh, pick one of them or, or two of them and share those with us um, I'd say probably one of the bigger ones was when I was in Hanover the first time <laughs> glad, glad you qualified yeah <laughs> you know so we have a, a chronological order here I go um, Barry Bland who was a deputy for Hanover and I, we had just gotten nine millimeters, and so um, you were in the fire marshal's office. Yep, yep. I was the first. Um, matter of fact, I got mine before the sheriff's office got theirs. They were still qualifying revolvers, but um, Barry had found these new magazines that were supposed to be, you know, pretty reliable and all. So we went by what was the Golfs at the time, picked them up, and um, pulled back on the old Mechanicsville Turnpike, and we looked up the hill and look down the hill and I take a double take and look back towards the Henrico line and there's a gasoline tanker it's still it's rolling and it's then she lights off it's rolling it's it's, it's happening right it's, then yeah it's things getting real now and um, <laughs> I pick up my radio and I just FM2 to Hanover just as calm as I could possibly make it and I'm sure um, it came across just like that it did actually. It did. <laughs> the the thing that was upsetting, well, it wasn't upsetting, but it was like, this is not going to go well, is that there was a voice on the other end of that radio that was not going to contribute to it being a successful operation. I and like I, the way you politically correct put things. And that was quickly resolved because uh, then I heard Mike Parrish's voice on the radio after that, and I go, thank God. But anyway, um, you know. You got 360s completely blocked. You have the little tavern lit off on one side and Bruce's Auto Parts lit off on the other side. But and that was you and a deputy. Me and a deputy. Barry Bland's walking down the side of 360. There's a guy standing. The thermal column was so violent that day that you could see it whipping the power lines right along 360. Mm. And this guy's standing under him, and Barry goes, Barry's in plain, excuse me, Barry's in plain clothes and tells the guy, hey, you need to move because that's about ready to fall on you. Guy ignores him. Guy ignores him. So Barry finally walks up to him and says, if you don't move, and, you know, identifies who he is. And that guy, he did, I don't think he went to his car. He just got out of there and <laughs> left. But, um, yeah, that was a pretty significant um, event um, that I remember. You know, 
and a lot of you know there's a lot of things about being then Hanover that I got to see or be a part of that I wouldn't have any other place um, you know uh, one of the things I think about all the fatalities that fire fatalities not the auto accidents and stuff but the fire fatalities that we had in Hanover um, you know at 20 21 years old you get to see a lot of things and see um, interact with a lot of people and I remember interacting with Dr. Fierro um, she was hilarious. Um, yeah, the chief medical examiner for the state. Yeah. Yep. Um, you know, I'd go downtown to see her, and she'd be in there doing her thing and eating a sandwich. <laughs> and uh, you know, she was she was a sweet lady. Um, you know, I never had a um, ounce of issue with her at all. She was very accommodating for me and stuff. But you know, again, I got to see a lot of things and exposed to a lot of things at a very young age. But I'm I'm grateful for it. Um, you know, there's some sad times. Like anybody's done this job for any amount of time. Um, you know, you obviously you hate to see it. Say when it's, you hate to see when kids are involved. Um, but I think probably one. You know, we had uh, we had a, some arson fires in Hanover County that involved volunteers. You know, that's not an easy thing mm -hmm. to deal with. Um, you know, there's so many calls. You know, you kind of, I don't want to say you lose track of them because at some point in your life, um, they're going to make their way back to you in the middle of the night when you're sleeping probably. But, um, you know, like I said, I, I've enjoyed it. Um, when I retired, I, when I left that day from the state fire marshal's office, I said to myself, I ain't looking back. This is, I'm done. And as time's gone on, um, I've always wanted to somehow get back involved with it. My son was, you know, he had been showing some interest in um, getting into the fire service, but I didn't know how to do it. I didn't want to go back to riding trucks. You know, I didn't want to ride, ride an engine or ride an ambulance. You know, what can I do? <clears throat> so uh, Jerry Pruden and I, Jerry had talked to me about this peer support thing, and I uh, started taking some classes a few years ago. Um, but just had been trying to find a home to do it. And, um, you know, I was blessed enough. Chesterfield has given me an opportunity to uh, get back into it and to, you know, pay it forward, you know, in a volunteer position. So I'm grateful for that. Um, you know, it, it, it's hard to get that out of your system. I mean, you know that as well as anybody else. You do it for so long. Um, some people have the ability to walk away and not look back. Um, but I just, I, I, I think the thing that I miss the most are the people and the camaraderie and stuff like that. I mean, you know, you get a rookie in your firehouse and the captain's out of quarters somewhere and it's his first night. <coughs> and um, he says, which bed is mine? And the one, I said, that one right down there behind the dispatcher's desk, the one in there by itself. <laughs> the one the captain usually sleeps. Yes, that one. <laughs> and, you know, he goes to bed because he doesn't, he want, goes to bed early because he doesn't want to mess a call. And then the captain rolls in at 10 o'clock. And um, <laughs> all I hear is a, damn it, Williams. <laughs> Not that he knew where that came yeah, from. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what made you suspect me at first. But <laughs> Put making the rookie sleep in, your, in yeah. the captain's bed. Yeah. But um, some good times, good times, a lot of uh, 
you know, good memories. There's many bad things, or I won't say bad. Let's not call them bad. Let's just say they are unfortunate things. Um, you know, I got to be part of some really positive things in the lives of people that I'll, I'll never see. But, um, you know, again, wouldn't wouldn't redo it, wouldn't change my my path if I could. Well, that in mind, we've been going over an hour now. Um, I don't want to make it a two-parter, but we can split it. But um, you know, one of the things I've heard from particularly the younger crowd who who listens to the podcast and what they seem to enjoy is hearing kind of the pearls of wisdom from from those people who've had long and distinguished careers, even if it might have been in fourteen different departments or you know seven departments twice each. Or don't knock it till you try. But you know, yeah, I, I, we were talking before and how much how much of a different experience it was going to all those organizations. And, uh, you know, I, I would say you, you have a problem keeping a job, but you never got fired from any of them. It was yeah. you were always going to the next thing. And, and quite choice. honestly, you came back to a couple of them. It was all so by choice. I think that was a, speaks volume as to what kind of a, a person you are and, and, uh, and uh, ad, advantage to the organization. So um, I wasn't a problem child, Robbie. Even though you got let the rookie sleep in the captain's bed, I didn't do anything that you didn't do. <laughs> well, we can, we're not going in there. <laughs> but uh, what you know, what what kind of advice would you give somebody you know just coming on the job, um, you know maybe just coming out of recruit school, you get a chance to sit and talk to the recruits for a, <laughs> a, a day and or a half a day or five minutes. What would you tell them? You know, um, Chase is in recruit school now, and he's probably when he hears this, he's going to sit there and mock it because he's heard so many of these things, especially over the last year. And Chase um, is your son. Yeah. Where is he at? He's my oldest. He's at Chesterfield. Chesterfield. He's in the recruit school. It's uh, 63 that's in uh, – it's currently in session now. If I was sarcastic, I'd ask him how long is he going to stay before he moves to Hanover. But I'm not going to go there. <laughs> I'm sure he's going to do fine. I think he beat you to the punch because <laughs> he was telling somebody the other day, he goes, man, I love it here. I, you know, this is where I want – because that's the only place he applied. Right. And – um he said, I'm not going to be like my dad and leave in three years. He said, I'm, I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay. So <laughs> All right. I said, okay, son. <laughs> I hope you do. Um, you know, the, some of the stuff is like stuff I was taught as a kid. You know, stay humble and kind. Um, you know, this is a profession that is not, you know, don't do it because you want to be a hero. You need to, you know, Cricket said this in his that, you know, you're there to help people. That's what you do. Um, if you have a problem being selfless and doing for others, then this is not nowhere even close what you should be doing. Um, but be grateful for the job you have and do everything you can to bring honor to it every day you're on the job because uh, there's so many people trying to <coughs> that are trying to... Uh, destroy the 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 image that's out there and um you know we're ex you know we're blessed with the experience of highs and lows that this career brings to us um those i find that those who are the more grateful will be the ones who get the most rewards um you know again this job is it's a privilege to wear that uniform um Something told me as a rookie was shut your mouth and open your ears and listen. And a lot of truth to that. Knowledge is key. Um, you need to always be willing to seek it. Um, you can, you, 
if you get to the point where you think you have learned everything, you need to go ahead and get on out. But I can assure you, you have not learned everything. Um, remain modest. Keep yourself, uh, your self-worth in check. Um, you know, a, a, a lot of people think, you know, what the, the thing we keep hearing, the jobs change so much. The jobs change so much. Well, I don't know the job really has changed much. The reason they show up for work every day was the same reason we did. Um, I think it's truly been th that same way. You go read books on the history of the fire service and um, things they did. Yeah, you know, there's small things that, that change, but everything changes. Everything is constantly in, in motion and, and constantly changing, but the job is really the same as it's always been. Um, you know, it takes the same type of people, the same type of skills, the same type of courage, the same type of empathy to do it in 2021 that it did back in 1843. It's the same. Um, you know, yeah, there's automatic nozzles. There's this, there's that. There's thermal engine cameras. Everything is, yeah, all that's making the job easier and safer and probably more efficient. But in the end, it's the same. Um, be respectful of those that came before you. Um, they're the reason your job is safer today because of what they had to go through, what they um, dealt with. And the last thing I tell Chase and I tell anybody is know your job and be ready. Wise words for sure. You know, I, I, you, you mentioned the, the, the job has changed and it's, you know, about the the people and uh, just finished up three episodes with uh, I called it the Young Guns episodes from with three right. rookies from Chesterfield. I, I was so impressed with their attitude about the job, their their purpose for being there, and, and what they're doing and and where they're heading with it. I you know I, I've gotten a lot of comments and phone calls, text messages saying, "Hey, that you know that was awesome. It's good to know. It looks it's sounding like." the next generation is the right generation and the, the service is in good hands going forward. And I, I, I got to agree with that. Just those, those, those three folks, I think just a representative of what's coming in the pipeline in recruit schools from here on. And it's just fabulous to see those guys. I talked to uh, Kyle mm -hmm. about two weeks ago and uh, you know, I know his dad through the state police. Yeah. And stuff. He, caught, he was, he started in Hanover or is he's from Hanover. Right. Hanover yeah. And, uh, you know, when he got on the phone with me and we were talking and all, I was just, I was blown away by the drive that this kid's got. His attitude is, you know, again, <clears throat> I think I'm a, I'm a fair judge of character. I don't need to spend a whole lot of time with you to tell you, but, you know, the little bit of time I was talking to him, um, you know, his attitude's right. Um, he's got a work ethic second to none and there's no quit. And that's, you know, that's reflective of a good majority of them today. Um, you know, you hear about how the brotherhood has changed and all this other stuff. Well, I remember when I was a volunteer at this fire station down the road, and on meeting nights, you'd have the young folks on one side and the old folks on the other side. And I remember when they, you know, when I said, I'm going to take an EMT class, and people looked at me like, why are you even doing that? You're wasting your time. You know, you need to do, you know, don't be wasting your time doing that. And now, now you know, 
I, I didn't know. I didn't. I didn't have a premonition of anything. You're a visionary, man. That's what. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what I told him then. <laughs> but, um, you know, now, you know, I look back then and I'm going, you know, I know what they were thinking. You know what they were thinking about me. It's kind of somewhat what I used to think myself until I got back into talking to people and what have you. The brotherhood hasn't changed. The people have. Our brotherhood that you and I grew up around in is based on a certain time. And that's no different now than the guys and gals that are in Chase's recruit school and that Chase will be part of when he gets out. It's all the intent and all is still the same. It's the little intricacies that change, and we make it, it makes us think, those of us who have been through it before, like, oh, God, they're, they're totally destroying it and what have you. And in some cases, maybe that's a legit concern, but, again, that was my brotherhood. This is Chase's brotherhood. Doesn't mean it's any, it's, it's, it's different. I mean, it's different, but it doesn't make it any worse or better than the other. So, yeah, I, I th there are times when I think the world's in trouble, um, and then there are times I think you know I think it's got would be you know these kids got a chance. Yeah, I hope. Dude, anything else you want to share? Pearls of wisdom, <clears throat> crazy stories from uh, number nine. You got you don't have any copies of that picture of Gene Sprouse and uh, Chaps, do you? And uh, burning my damn brain. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think uh, I'm trying to remember. You know, number nine's got the pole, and I can't tell this story. It had to do with uh, somebody getting locked out on the balcony, naked, and going down the pole naked. Yes. And his name has been mentioned here before, but we'll leave it at that. Yeah, let's yeah. <laughs> So uh, one of the one of the episodes, and I've already talked to him. You know, one of the probably the the most uh, responsible. <laughs> I can't even say it with a straight face. <laughs> responsible company officers I got to work for with. Um, probably the unofficial prankster at a fire department at the time. You mentioned the the Vaughn Colbert heat and blanket prank. Mm -hmm. um, I think he might have had something to do with the J.P. Jones. Yes. Um, I'm gonna get him, yes. and because I've gotten I've gotten jokes recorded and he and I are going to kind of sit down and do a critique of all of them and he's going to give me his expert opinion <laughs> on whether they're good joke good practical jokes or not so uh at Vaughn's retirement <laughs> JP had gone and I don't well, let's let's just set the, we got to set this one up now because okay. 12 truck would always come up to 14 yes to fill in when 14 truck was out on a call for a long Correct. time so 12 truck was the fill-in station for 14, and 14 would go to 12 occasionally. And Vaughn had a habit that leads into this story. So go ahead. <laughs> JP's creative. I'll give him that. Um, but Vaughn would raid the refrigerator. Every time Every he time. came to 14. You know, and, you know, I remember one time going to a fire station at Bellwood. I think it was at Bell. It was at Bellwood. And there were three separate fire, uh, three separate refrigerators with padlocks. padlocks on. And I'm going, what in the hell is this for? <laughs> Keep Vaughn Colbert now. Now I know why. I said, <laughs> good Vaughn. Twelve truck must come to Bellwood often. Um, but anyway, at Vaughn's retirement, uh, JP presented Vaughn with a life-size doll 
Uh, it had the Chesterfield blue pants and the T-shirt. It had Chesterfield Fire Department written on the back of the shirt. It had the. It was so detailed that the boots, the the pants leg was stuffed down into the boots. That's how Vaughn always walked around. He never had them pleated <laughs> out. And it was bent at a 90-degree angle with its head in the refrigerator. Um, but when he gave him that, man, I... That was the Vaughn Colbert action figure. Yes, <laughs> classic. <laughs> I, I mean, that's, that ranks right up in. That's top three. But, um, yeah, this, you know, every fire station's got them. Every fire department's got them. Um, you know, I, most of these memories are in my brain. I, I wish I'd have taken time to write or take pictures. You know, I took a lot of pictures back then, but, um, you know, it was a it's it was an awesome job, um, the best job ever, and I'm glad that I still have somewhat of a I still have uh, my hands in it somehow or another. Um, you know, well, that's your next mission. This, uh, you know, it working is. with the peer support team. That's, uh, um, you know, I'll share it with you. We you know we got some big plans that they're going to take some time to come about. But, um, you know, I've I've got resources now that I didn't have before. That I, you know, if if we can make it make coping with the trauma that goes on, not just on a fire ground, but just you know the the issues with relationships or, you know, your finances or, you know, all the trouble that goes on being a, a human being in today's world. Um, you know, I want to, I want to help somebody with that. If, you know, if we can. Well, heck yeah. When, uh, when that comes to a fruition point, uh, heck yeah, we'll get this microphones back out and we'll talk about that a little bit more Good. And, uh, awesome. going forward and kind of put that on everybody's map. But, uh, for now, uh, just uh, you know, I'd, I'd say I'd give you a hard time again, but I love you like a brother. Proud to say you're brothers. We're brothers, and uh, you want another beer, don't you? Yeah, I do. I thought. So. <laughs> <laughs> no. I know you don't. That's for come on, man. But uh, Brett Williams, uh, firefighter, fire inspector, volunteer, career, 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 career guy. Yeah. Uh, man, thanks for uh, thanks for sitting down and sharing some stories, man. I, I really enjoyed seeing you again. Thanks like, for having me like, up. Likewise, brother. I love you. And thanks once again to Brett Williams for uh, joining me for this podcast episode. It's always great to catch up with some old friends and uh, relive some old memories. And uh, laughed just as hard in the editing process of this one as I did in person with Brett uh, when we recorded it. So thanks again, Brett. And if you've got any comments or suggestions, please feel free to email me at firehouselogbook at gmail.com or follow along on Twitter at FDLogbook or on Instagram at FDLogbook podcast and make sure you follow along on facebook as well that's where we post up notices about uh upcoming episodes and once episodes post you'll see some pictures of uh, brett and maybe even one of brett uh wrestling with an ostrich so uh thanks again for listening